Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series to the book of James that we began last week. And if you remember, our tagline is a faith that works. As I was preparing for this morning's message, I, I came across some fel- funny bulletin um, announcements. And I want to share a few of those with you before we get into our message. Just want to get us laughing a little bit. But first one is it. This Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be st- speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bel- come here Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. <laughs> the Reverend Merriweather spoke briefly, much to the delight of the audience. The pastor will preach his farewell message Sunday morning, after which the choir will sing, Break Forth into Joy. <laughs> Barbara remains in the hospital, needs a blood transfusion, and, and she is also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Nelson's sermons. During the absence of our pastor, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon when J.F. Stubbs supplied our pulpit. Yeah, I know that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help you. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. The choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys singing enjoy sinning to join the choir. And then we'll close with this one. At the, at the evening, after the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> All right. Bill, I don't know why they made so much fun of, of, of music, but so be it, right? All right, so um, just as a reminder, James, okay, is full of imperatives, full of commands, full of, of, of scriptures dealing with obedience. It is one of those books that many people throughout church history have shied away from. They've shied away from it because they don't think that both grace and works go together. And as we looked at last week, that is so far from the truth. We know that both work in harmony with one another. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. We read, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace, right? We are saved by God's glorious grace. But understand, as we looked at last week and as we'll look at throughout this great book, we are saved unto something. We are saved unto good works, is what Paul said in verse 10. He said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace, but we are saved and given a God-ordained command to go. To go and do what? According to Matthew 28, we are to go and make disciples. What are we to do with those disciples? We are to see that they are baptized. And then what are we to do? We are to take those new disciples and make them into 
disciples. We are called to go and share the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with. Here's what faith does in a believer's life. Faith moves Christians to take steps of radical obedience to make the gospel known to those around us and around the world. You know what faith does? Faith causes us to do some pretty radical things. Faith causes us and leads us to feed the homeless. Faith leads us to start Bible studies at, 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 at work, in our neighborhoods, and at school. Faith leads us to go to places like Dallas Life and serve the homeless there. Faith leads us to get on airplanes and go to places like Ecuador to share the gospel. Faith leads us to go to orphanages and help and assist those orphans that are there. Faith leads us to take care of our widows, take care of those that are in need. Here's what faith does as our, as our message point indicates this morning. Faith perseveres. That's what faith does. Faith finishes the race of life strong. So this morning, okay, we're going to continue to look at trials together and, and the response that we should have to those trials as believers. Last week, we looked at, at James 1-2, and that verse says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. As we looked at last week, it's not a matter of if we meet trials, but when we meet trials, all of us in this room will and have, and some of you even this week have been living in the midst of some of those trials. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to begin reading together in verse 5, and we'll walk through first, verse 18 together, and then we'll dive into our points this morning. So James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, we read these words. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall. And its beauty perishes. So also with the rich man fade, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Verse 12, blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he be brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creations. There's about 10 sermons right here in this passage of Scripture. And we're, gonna, we're going to try this morning to walk through these verses and, 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 and nail down some, some truths this morning. The first thing that I want us to see is the Lord grants us wisdom. We looked a little bit last week at verse 5, but this morning we're going to really dive into this verse together. Um, 
remember, as we looked at last week, those that James wrote to were believers that had scattered throughout the known world following persecution, following the intense persecution that came um, against the church in Jerusalem. They were run out of Jerusalem, and so here they are. They're in a new land, a foreign land. Um, They had lost their homes. They had lost their jobs. They had lost many of their friendships. They had been separated from family members. They knew of fellow believers that had lost their life. They died a martyr's death, or they had they have known of believers if they weren't already one that had been persecuted and beaten and flogged for their faith. So James writes to these men and women to remind them to persevere during times of trial. He tells them, when you do not know how to face your trials, turn to the Lord and seek the Lord. In verse 5, it says, For any if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. God who gives generously. What an amazing promise we have here this morning. Every one of us in this room, an amazing promise given to us by God. This verse tells us that God gives wisdom generously. You know why God gives wisdom generously? Because God is a generous God, isn't he? He gives his wisdom out generously, but it is not automatic. We must ask for it. We must ask for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. This past um, um, week, I was in New Orleans for, for a class. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to sit under the teaching of a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jim Henry. Dr. Jim Henry um, used to pastor First Baptist Church of Orlando. He's been in the ministry for 60 plus years. And he came into our classroom and he, and, and he just basically shared with us from his heart. He said, you know, these are the things that I did well in ministry. These are the things that I didn't do well in ministry. And here's my recommendation for you as ministers. And one of the takeaways that I had, I had note page after note page that I took. But one of the takeaways that I got was a reminder, okay? Reminder for the longevity of ministry. And all of us, remember, are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we are believers, we are ministers. And these are some things that he shared. He, he said, stay on your knees. There is power in prayer, isn't there? We need to be a praying people. He said, stay in the word. We need to be growing believers. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't just grow on Sunday, but we're to grow every single day. And then he said, stay close to people. We need to be, we need to have relationships in our lives where we're able to invest in other people and they're able to invest in us. Iron sharpens iron. One brother sharpens another brother. One sister sharpens another brother. One believer sharpens another believer. We are to stay on our knees, stay in the word, and stay close to people. What should we do when we face trials? We should turn to the Lord and ask him for wisdom, right? We should um, bring God into the equation God already knows what we're going through. He already knows the trials that we are experiencing. He calls us to call on him so that he can walk with us through those trials. 
Someone has said that faith is the conduit through which God works in our lives. We all know what a conduit is. A conduit is an open line of communication. That is what we have with God. We have an open line of communication with him. When we pray to him, he answers us. Okay, it's as, as Chief likes to say often, um, he, he desires to be God conscious. Well, how do we become God conscious? We have an open line of communication between us and God. Let me ask you this question this morning. What would happen if we sought the Lord in all areas of our lives? What would happen if we brought God into the equation of our daily lives? What would happen if we sought the Lord for marital wisdom when we're going through problems in our homes? What would happen if we prayed to God and asked God to give us wisdom to deal with one another? What would happen if we asked for parental wisdom? What would happen if we asked for work wisdom? What would happen if we asked for financial wisdom? What would happen if we asked the Lord to, 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 um, for wisdom when it comes to this church or the greater church? What would happen if you sought the Lord and asked him for wisdom to help you grow in a relationship with him? What would happen if, that, if you began to do that? You know what would happen? God would begin to answer some prayers is what would happen. Your marriage would probably get stronger. Your relationship with your kids would probably get stronger. Your relationship with your coworkers would probably get stronger. Here's what we need to recognize. There is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Some of the smartest people to ever walk the face of this earth had zero wisdom, right? Some of you know them, okay? Some of you work with them. You're like, man, this is an absolute genius, but they have no street smarts whatsoever. You know, think about Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein really was probably the, one of the smartest men to ever walk the face of this earth. But Albert Einstein was not a very wise man in two, two ways. Number one, there's an illustration that talks about how he was heading home um, one day from a trip, and, and he, he, he lost his ticket. to um, And so the conductor's walking up the aisle, and, and Albert Einstein is frantically looking for that ticket. And, and the conductor said, oh, Mr. Al- Albert, or Mr. Einstein, I know you very well. You don't have to show me your ticket. I know you're good for it. And, and Albert Einstein looked up at him and said that I don't know what stop I'm to get off of. Okay, you may know me, but I don't know where I'm going. So that proves he wasn't very smart. And another thing that Einstein said one time, he said that there is no personal relationship, that a person cannot have a personal relationship with God. You know what kind of person says that? A fool is what Scripture says. So Albert Einstein may have known a lot head-wise, but he didn't know a lot wisdom-wise. Look at it like this. Here's, the dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge is raw information. Wisdom is knowing how to use that information. It's one thing to have it here, but it's another thing to put it into practice. How do we ask for wisdom? Scripture makes it clear that there is one qualification. We must ask in faith and without doubting. Verses 6 through 8 again say, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Do you know what a doubter is? A doubter is someone who is unstable. James describes the doubter as being one that is like the sea that is being tossed about. 
You know, I love to cruise, and y'all, y'all, I've shared that with you before, but I, one thing that I love to do is I love to sit out on um, the balcony, and I love to watch the waves just dance across the water. And you know, there's something about waves. They're, they're of different sizes, and there's really not much rhythm to those waves. They're clashing, colliding into each other. And, 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 and as I was reading this passage of Scripture and reading what James had to say about a doubter, a doubter is a person that is unstable. A doubter is someone that there's really not much rhythm to their life, especially their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. James also said that a doubter is, is double-minded. You know what a double-minded person is? A double-minded believer is one that lives one way on Sunday and lives a totally different way the rest of the week. A double-minded person is a person that may be a teacher in Sunday school, opens up God's Word, opens up their lesson, and and teaches the Word to those that God um, has brought into that classroom. But they go away not necessarily believing what they taught. That is a double-minded person. Some of you in this room, you may be double-minded. You may, you may believe one thing to, to, to um, satisfy those that you do life with, but you believe a totally different things outside the doors of the church. You may speak well, but you don't do well. Are you double-minded this morning? Or do you believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is who he said he is? And you are about proclaiming who God is amongst those that you come in contact with. Notice our second point this morning. The Lord blesses our adversity. We read in verses 9 through 11, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. James speaks of two different classes of people here. He speaks of the rich and he speaks of the poor. And he addresses both differently. To the poor, he does not offer up any promise or any solution to their current state. He does not tell them that that if they would just take what little they have and go out and buy a lotto ticket, then they may very well strike it rich. He doesn't say if they live in places like Vegas, hey, go into the, the, the casino and put it all on red and just try to win for the sake of your family. He doesn't tell us to do there that at all, does he? What he does is he tells those believers to boast. That seems strange, doesn't it? When I find myself financially strapped, there is not a whole lot of boasting that I do. I do problem solving, trying to fix a solution, or trying to fix the problem that I'm in, trying to find a solution. What is there to boast about when you can't put food on your table? What is there to boast about when you can't buy diapers for your child? What is there to boast about when you can't put gas in your car or pay your mortgage? Or have creditors blowing up your phone trying to get their payments from you. Man, what is there to boast about when you can't provide for your family? That was the reality of those that James was writing to. 
those poor men and women that, that had been scattered from his church. There was a big difference between the church in Jerusalem and the church in these other areas during the infancy days. The church in Jerusalem, you remember what the church in Jerusalem did? Um, one of our core values is that we want to be a generous people. The church in Jerusalem, they had the means and the resources to be generous, to take care of one another. Scripture says that they sold all of their possessions and they were one people, one body. They did this so they, can take care, so they could take care of one another. Okay, that was the reality of where they lived. The poor were taken care of when they were in Jerusalem. But whenever they left Jerusalem, the church looked different. When you got a bunch of poor people, okay, it's kind of hard to share your resources, Right? And so, so there was this, there was this um, difference, new reality that these men and women and students and children were living with. And so you have here James encouraging these men and women. James writes to his former church members, and he tells them that in the midst of their poverty, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't waffle, don't compromise, don't stray, but what? Boast. James is telling these men and women to boast in the Lord and in his sovereignty and in his goodness. God is good when we have much, and God is good when we have little, right? And we need to learn to boast in the Lord when we don't have. Is that right? And some of you, I've, I've talked to you, and I remember the early days of my marriage with my wife. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, there's still days that we don't have a whole lot. But you know what we have? We have a relationship with the Lord, and we can boast in that. Let's boast in the Lord and in his goodness. You may be rich with money this morning. And, and, and James is saying here that if you are rich, don't let it go to your head. Be humble. In verses 10 and 11 again, we read, in the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. On the other end of the spectrum, you have the rich, okay? I, don't, I have not known anyone that has ever taken their final breath on this side of eternity and taken anything with them. Have you? No. Naked we came and naked we'll go, right? You're not going to take any of it with you. So learn to be humble. You know what riches and, and poverty have a way of doing? It has a way of leveling out, doesn't it? I remember um, not long after Hurricane Sandy um, swept through um, places like New York and Jersey and, and such. I remember going up there on a mission trip, and I had the opportunity while I was there to meet with um, one of the former partners that, that, that I had there. His name was Bill. And, and I remember talking with Bill and just hearing the different stories that he shared. Bill has an, a phenomenal ministry there um, to the homeless and the impoverished. And what Bill has done is he's developed some relationships with some restaurants and some grocery stores. And those restaurants and grocery stores, they either give um, out of their abundance to him or they give, like if a salad says, um, sell by 2 9 um, 20, they'll give all of that away either on that day that the date has gone bad or before then um, because they get new 
produce in. And so what Bill has done is he has developed a ministry where, where, where men and women come in multiple times a week. He shares the gospel with them, and then he gives them bags of food. It's just a great ministry. But he shared this, this story after Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy just flooded um, large areas of, of New York um, of Jersey and different places. Much of the city was left without power. And because there was no power, the restaurants weren't open, the grocery stores weren't open. And so many of these places gave their resources to Bill and asked Bill basically to steward that well and give it out to those in need. And so that's exactly what Bill did. They began to give out what they had. And he said that the people were wrapped around the corner. People were coming, and they were giving this food out. And the thing that blew me away is he said, in that line, you had both homeless and millionaires. He said, those millionaires had nowhere to go for food. So they came here, and we gave them food, and we gave them the gospel. You know what, what, what life has a way of doing is life has a way of leveling things out, right? So as believers, we're to boast in the Lord. If in, 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 in our poverty, we are to blow, boast in the Lord in our riches, and, and we are also to act and live with an element of humility um, with what God has given us. And we are to steward those things well. To the rich, steward that which the Lord has given you well. Use it to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. To the poor, you may not have riches, but you have Jesus. Boast in him. And when you boast in him, Guess what? Other people, too, will boast in him. Notice our next point is this. The Lord blesses those who persevere. In verse 12, we read, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, think about um, trials that we go through. Sometimes life throws us such a curveball that we just want to throw in the towel and give up, right? Some of you have been there. Man, some of you have thrown in the towel already. And you're like, man, there's just nothing left for me to live for. Well, I want you to know right now that if you still have breath in your lungs, there is much for you to live for. And you can live and you can persevere and you can finish this race strong. This verse right here, blessed is the man. You know, this reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the first few verses of Matthew chapter 5. What do we read? We read Jesus um, share the Beatitudes. Blessed, 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 blessed. And here James says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. The NIV says, blessed is the man who perseveres. The New King James Version says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. James is saying here, blessed is the man or woman who perseveres to the end of life and finishes strong. You know, I have one of my professors um, is a gentleman by the name of Dr. O.J. And I've, I've had several classes with him already. And one of the things that he talks about is he talks about the different quarters of life that we find ourselves in. You know, there's four quarters, okay, of any football game. There's four quarters, right? And so as we think about our life, okay, let's just say, okay, for the sake of saying that every one of us in this room are going to live to be 100 years of age, okay? Likelihood of that, um, for a few of us, maybe, but for all of us, probably not, okay? Um, but let's just say, for the sake 
of saying that all of us in this room are going to live to be 100 years of age. Okay, we have some in this room that you're in the first quarter of your life. Okay, you're under 25 years of age, and man, life is good, right? I mean, most of you that are under 25, man, you're you are doing a couple things. You're pursuing an education, still in school, um, getting ready maybe to go off to college. Um, you, during that first 25 years, you're really getting an education and getting yourself established within the workforce, right? Think about the next 25 years of your life. Um, the next 25 years is really the time that you are beginning to make a name for yourself. You're starting a family. You're raising your children. And during that first 50 years of your life, you're probably also launching them out of the house, becoming an empty nester. The reason that I picked 100 as kind of the, the quarters of life is because I'm 47. And I thought, I want to be in the second quarter of my life. So I'm still in the second quarter of my life, all right? So still raising a family, still um, beginning the process of launching one out of the house, and then in a couple years got the other one that will be launching out of the house. But, um, and so that's the first 50 years of your life. The next 25 years of your life is, 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 is really a time when you're trying to finish um, working well, working toward retirement. You're trying to make as much as you can so that you can live off of that that you have, have, have worked so hard to, to live off of in retirement. In the final 25 years of your life, you spend in retirement, okay? Here's what I want to challenge all of us with, okay? A lot of times we get to that point of retirement and we just kind of coast, don't we? Man, I want you to know right now, the final 25 years of your life or the final 20 years of your life, 15 years of your life, 10 years of your life, whatever it might be that you experience retirement with, those could be some of your strongest ministry years to date. The time in which you really begin to get your hands dirty like you never have for Christ. Finish strong persevere to the end. Hebrews 12, 1 through 10 um, says, let us, um, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what we are to do as believers? We are to persevere. We are to run this race well, and we are to finish this race well. Whether you finish this race at 100 or finish this race at 150, it doesn't matter. Finish the race strong. Next point here is the Lord warns against sinfulness. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. How many of you in this room have ever been tempted? Okay, every one of you better have your hand up, all right? Because the only, because I just know you, all right? Been around you long enough to know that all of us in this room have been tempted. Okay, that's a pretty dumb question on my part. Here is the deal. It is one thing to be tempted, but it is another thing to give in to that temptation. The sin is not in the tempting. The sin is in the giving in to that temptation, right? All of us have been there. 
All of us have done that. All of us have been tempted and we've said no, but we've also been tempted and we've said yes. Now think about the times in which you give into your temptation. Usually we give into temptation when we are not where we are supposed to be, right? We purposely kind of broken up our rhythm of our day and we've gone somewhere where we shouldn't be and that's usually when we're tempted and we have a tendency to give in to that temptation. Um, when we're not spiritually strong is also a time that we give in to temptation. When we are anxious about something or when we are worried about something or maybe when we begin get angry we we give into that temptation maybe when we're tired we give into temptation think about Jesus devil tempted Jesus when did the devil tempt Jesus was it on day one of his fast his wilderness experience no is on day 40 right because what was Jesus experiencing on day 40 he was tired and he was hungry and that's when the devil showed up know this that's when the devil's going to show up in our lives as well he's going to show up when we're tired and when we're hungry when we're not where we're supposed to be he's going to show up he's going to tempt us and because of our weakness we're going to give in to that temptation so we've got to guard ourselves against the tempter. We are to put on the full armor of God because Satan is going to hurl those fiery darts our way. And if we're not spiritually prepared, we're going to give in to the temptation. So let us guard ourselves against the sinful attacks of the devil. You know what a sin is, right? Sin is cancer is what sin is. Sin destroys lives. Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys relationships. But there is a cure for sin, isn't there? And that is Jesus Christ. And you know what that, that in, in injection, that, 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 um, that, that antibiotic that we get to help us overcome the penalty of that sin, it's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus enters into our life and cleanses us and purifies us. Does it make us sin free? We're still going to make mistakes. But we got those antibodies in our body so that when we do sin, we are directed to turn to God and ask him to forgive us of those sins. You're going to be tempted. You're going to give in to that temptation. But don't let the giving in to that temptation destroy you because you've got a God who, who has promised that if you turn to him and seek his forgiveness, he will forgive you. And so let's keep that in mind this morning. Also, in closing this morning, our final point is this. The Lord gives perfect gifts. In verse 17 and 18, we read, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. What gifts has God given you? Just think for a second. Where you at? What are some gifts that God has given you? You know, the first gift that God has given you is God's given you life, hasn't he? He's given you the breath of life. Life is sacred. Life is given to us by God, isn't it? 
despite what the world tells us, despite what Hollywood tries to tell us, despite what some of our politicians try to tell us, life does not begin when a woman says life begins. Life begins when God says life begins. And you know what God's word says about life and when life begins? In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, we read, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You know when life begins, life begins when God says it begins, not when you and I say it begins. Right here in Scripture, we have this assurance that he knit us together in in our mother's wombs. That is when life begins. God is the giver of life. You know what else God is the giver of? He's the giver of salvation. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life greatest gift that any of us have been given in this room is the gift of salvation. If you're not a believer this morning, then I want you to know that you can receive the greatest gift ever this morning, and that is a relationship with Jesus. That is a, a, a remedy to your sinfulness. That is a, a, a promise that we have in Scripture that God will forgive us of our sins if we ask him to forgive us. And not only will he forgive us of our sins, but he will save us. He will give us a new life in him. So he is the giver of salvation. He is also, he gives us a positional gift with him as well. James refers to the Lord as the father of light. He is our father, and he has given us positional sonship with him. In James 1.12, we read, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. Oh, I'm sorry. That, I, I intended that to be John, uh, um, John 1.12. Yet to all who received him and to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were given a positional gift, and that is sonship. You have a heavenly father that you can turn to. And he is there for you. When you turn and ask for wisdom, he's going to be there to give you wisdom. I want you to know it may not be the kind of wisdom that you want. It may not be the answer that you want. But he promises that he will give us wisdom. He has also given us the gift of his word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God has given us the gift of his word. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This word right here has been given to us for our instruction. It has been given to us so that we know how to overcome the devil's schemes. It has been given to us so that we can know God more and, 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 and also learn how to make him known. We, are all, we, we have also been given the promise of a cherished possession with God. In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, Peter wrote these words, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, we are God's children if we are believers in him. We have been given a cherished possession, and that is a promise of eternity. 
God is good, isn't he? Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is a good gift giver? Do you believe that God has ever given a bad gift? No. His gifts are good. His gifts are perfect. His gifts are sustaining. Say with me, we all know this, this phrase, but, but God is good all the time. God is good. Let's say that again. God is good all the time. God is good. His goodness is unchanging. His goodness is undeserved, isn't it? His goodness is unending. God is a good God. And as we close this morning, I want us to just think again about these promises, um, the, these instructions for longevity as ministers of the gospel. Let's stay on our knees praying. Let's stay in the word. Let's stay close to people. And I added the, the fourth one then there. Let's stay after people too. That's what we are called to do as believers is to go and get people, right? To go and reach people with the gospel. To go and invite people to church. To go and share the good news of salvation with people. We are called to go and we're called to grow. How do we go and how do we grow? Well, we get on our knees. We get in the word. And then we learn from the Lord and we go and we share that with those that we have um, developed relationships with. As we close this morning, you know, I don't know what decision you need to make. You know, you may be here this morning and, and you're like, you know, as I look back on my life, you know, I've spent a lot of time doubting. I, I've spent a lot of time as a double-minded individual. I, I live this way and act this way at this time of week, but the rest of my week I live like this. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you spend eternity. I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins. That is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and ask him to be Savior of your life. And the Bible says that if you do that, you will be saved. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. You may be here this morning, and, and the Lord is leading you to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home. And, and we would love for you to make this your church home. And in fact, today, there is no easier way for you to make this church your church home because we've got a new members class and part of our um, our, 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 our um expectations of individuals that want to be a part of Friendship Baptist Church is we want you to know what we believe. And so we want you to go through the new members class so you can learn what we believe. And so we've got a new members class this morning right after our business meeting. And if you're here and you've been visiting a while and you want to make this your church home, I want to invite you to our new members class. Okay, it's going to be in, in um, what we call the agape room. Okay, it's the, um, the room right on the other side of the stairwell there. We would like for you to be a part of that. Okay? I don't know what decision you need to make this morning, but let's stand together, and I'm going to pray together. And if the Lord is leading you to, to um, you may need to come this morning because you don't know Jesus. Come to know Jesus this morning. You may be here this morning, and you may need to come to this altar and just pray. You may need to have a seat where you're at and spend some time praying. I don't know what decision you need to make, but after I say amen, if the Lord is leading you, you come. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just knowing that you are, Father, you are beyond good. 
You have given us life. Father, you have given us breath. You have given us a message of hope that you have called us to share with other people. And so, Father, I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that all of us will leave this place this morning. Father, with just such a hunger and a passion for those that don't know you so that we can go with them and go to them and share with them. Father, I don't know what decisions need to be made in this room, Lord. There may be some in this room, Father, that, that Lord Jesus, are going through a trial, a hurt, and a pain, and they haven't yet given that over to you to seek you for wisdom, seek your wisdom as to how to walk through that. They've tried on their own, and Father, they've failed on their own. And so, Lord, sometimes instead of you being the first one that we turn to, we go to you out of a last resort. And some may be here this morning and they've tried everything on their own and they need to just surrender over to you and just say, I can't do it on my own. God, I need you. And so, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that if there's some that need to respond to you to help them through their trials, that they will do that this morning. Father, there may be some this morning, Lord Jesus, that they've been in church all the days of their life, but they're not a believer in you. They've never repented of their sins. They've never cried out to you, be Lord and Savior of their life. They've lived a double-minded life. They faked it on Sunday, and, and they've lived according to the world standards the rest of the week. I pray that you'll draw that person unto salvation, just like that individual in this place this morning that may not know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. I'm going to ask all of us just to bow our heads for the next few minutes. Instrument's going to play. You just bow your head. And let's just spend some time praying. You may need to have a seat where you're at. You may need to come to this altar and pray. You may need to come um, and talk to me. I'm here. I would love to share with you more about, you know, if you're struggling with your relationship with the Lord, I'd love to share with you more. If you don't know Jesus and would like to come to know Jesus, I would love to share with you. We've got men and women in this church that would love to share with you as well. If there's a decision you need to make, you come, you come now.